Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Jake Orham, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the COO and co-founder of Merit, which can be found at merits.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here, Doug. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to, to share a little bit today. Thanks. I know we've been talking for a while about the, the nature of your business. Uh, why don't you give us just a little bit of, of your backstory? And you can tell us a little bit about what Merit does, but really I want to focus on who you are. So let's start with that. Um, at this point, I've been told I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my fourth startup. Wow. It's, crazy enough, I've been doing them all with the same co-founder. So myself and Tomer have been doing working together now for almost 18 years, give or take. Makes me feel a little old when I say it out loud. But um, yeah, my background is I, I was uh, born in Richmond, Virginia, lived in New Jersey, spent a, a short stint in Southeast Asia living with my parents. When I got to be about high school age, my parents uh, realized that a high schooler in Thailand may be having too much fun. Sent me back uh, to America. I wound up going to Rutgers, then eventually coming out to the West Coast, and then getting involved in the technology scene. What what all it was out here, and that was kind of the inspiration for my career. Like it was taking the hustle that I developed, kind of living on my own. And in, in, you know, my parents still lived in Thailand. I was going to a boarding school in the U.S. Kind of taking that hustle and bringing it to what is Silicon Valley, and then taking that forward to a career that now we finally I feel like I'm in building a company that's so meaningful and doing such cool stuff. It's like the fruition of where I've been trying to get to, I guess, my whole life. So I think the, the interesting story that I gained from my interview with you in Authority Magazine was that you you went diving once, scuba diving, yeah. and you didn't have your PADI card, which is the certification card that allows you to get rent tanks and tell people, yeah. I know what I'm doing, I won't kill myself. And, and you didn't have your card. And I'll let me tell you a story. So it's actually a good one, right? So. Yeah. We're out there. It's myself, my co-founder, Tom, actually two other guys, Dylan and Jason, who actually are at the company too. Um, so, you know, if someone didn't have their paddy card, couldn't go scuba diving. What is it really, what, you know, it's 2020, it's 2013, 2014 at the time. And it, like, it's this pervasive, like, are you serious? Like at the time we were all working for a company uh, that did mobile search, right? And so we were embracing, like you could literally figure out when the best time to go pee during a movie was, and it had just been released that weekend. <laughs> but you couldn't look up your patty card on your phone yet. They couldn't look you up through a database. Like it just blew our minds. And it, the question just kept coming up. Like, why is this in like in this modern age with technology being so connected that your, your, your credentials aren't verified that you can't get access to programs that you're still filling out 35 page documents to apply for every government program you need to be a part of. And they can't somehow reuse the information. They can't connect your verified identity to make these things happen. And so that nucleus of idea festered for lack of a better word and eventually i wound up leaving the company tomer did as well and joining me with dylan and jason at uh what was what became merit of this idea that we can build a, a platform to be leveraged by private sector public sector. we obviously focused on government first to help solve these problems of where big programs that need to interact with lots of people across you know business government these lines and get data moving in an effective fashion 
is done so with real efficiency, like in a really positive way that allows people to get access to what they need to, whether it's disaster management solutions, um, direct to beneficiary like, you know, programs where you're helping you know people get government grants, things like that, workforce programs, licensure, so many so many places we can be. And now we finally are seven years later delivering these to market. And it's it's been a cool one. It's been really, really something amazing. One of the stories you shared with me was was working with first responders. And I think you used the example of firefighters. I think that's a really good example of how, how your platform works. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we... Um, you, got a so, wildfire, you got a wildfire. So now you got a, a bigger... We've got, people in, people. we've got people in Florida right now helping to support the recovery work for Idalia. Like this is what wow. we do. Um, you know, we basically, first responders can get all of their credentials in one place on merit. They can show up to when they're checking in for whether they're paid volunteer or they're a third-party contractor for the state. They can show up, scan in at the check-in point they're supposed to be scanning in for their work, scan out with the same merit credentials. So they're all of their verified identity pieces are checked off at that time. Then at the end of the day, when they have to fill out their paperwork, instead of spending 35 minutes an hour filling out papers, it's all pre-populated with the digital information from their digital credentials and their digital check-ins. So it's really a five-minute process to get their final paperwork done for the day. It's not wasting hours at the end. And at the same time, the state's now got all of this paperwork documentation to submit to FEMA to get reimbursed. Today, I mean, before us, people were, imagine what a, hit, a clipboard does in a hurricane, right? <laughs> what happens when you've got cases of paper and it's handwritten? Right. I mean, like I always like it's 2023 today. We can do better. We can do better. We just got to put the effort to make it so, right? And so I'm very proud of the fact that we do, we, we, we work with emergency responders to help make that better, as well as all the other stuff we're doing. I mean, we do this work. I, I got to share stories. It's one of my biggest pride moments because my family growing up, we did not have a ton. We were not of, of large means. Uh, we do a lot of educational choice programs. And it's been the pride of my, maybe of my life of watching us be able to deliver these programs faster than ever before at scale. 70,000 awards or more, I think it's almost 100,000 awards now in Ohio in less than 18 months to families to get supplemental help after COVID for their education needs for their kids. That's one of the fastest, that is the fastest growing ESA program in the country. Not yeah. because you have the technology to deliver it faster and more efficiently. If you didn't have that technology, people would have to go online and find the right source and find and do all that, find continue. Yeah, I mean, the way these programs often work is, you know, there's long applications, manual review processes, paperwork back and forth for submission of claims, paperwork back and forth for getting your re reimbursements. I mean, it's just, I, I'm, listen, people are doing the best they can, right? I'm not saying that anyone, any other program is, is bad, but the reality is if, with a good identity platform like Merit, this, these solutions are like literally easy. It's just configured and out the door. I mean, we launched Ohio, I think in 45 days. And the quote we got was Merit did in 45 days, but would have taken us two years to never if we had to do it on our own, right? And it's 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 amazing. It's really I, I'm so proud of the work we're able to do because we built this platform to deliver. And so it, it's it's very very cool. Yeah, you're obviously very excited about it, and, and that kind of gets me to my next question. You've been at it now for seven years. You're at market. You're you're making some money. Uh, what what gets you excited in the in the in the in the morning? You get out of bed. So I'll tell you, I love what we're doing, and it's. Part of what I love about what we're doing is I love building things. When I was a kid, I was into Legos and I was into making things. And I got older, I was taking apart my remote control cars to put them together into remote control planes, right? I, I was a maker of things. As I got older, I realized I did not have the skills to be an engineer and architect, but I still love building things and making amazing things. And so we've got to build what I, I consider one of the best companies I've ever worked at, right? A culture of people that are invested in the mission, invested in what they're doing, striving to see the successes every day. So every morning I get up 
because I'm West Coast and a lot of my team is East Coast now. And I get, I'm already in there with like all the things that are happening, the excitement of the day. And it's, it's, it's inspiring. It's inspiring because I get to see the numbers of the people we're helping and what we're doing. And I mean, it's, it's, it's emotionally uplifting to know that you're working for a company that sure it's making money and we're going to make profits. Right. But we're also helping thousands, millions of people every day, get where they need to be, do what they need to do that much better and more efficiently. So as, as COO, how's a typical day go for you? Oh, or there is probably no typical day, huh? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if there's any typical day. I'll say this, which I have four beautiful children, uh, 16, 12, seven, and five. Wow. And so my days start usually somewhere between five and 6 a.m. So I can have a few moments of quiet and maybe start the coffee before it's it begins. Anyone who has kids, they know what I'm talking about when it, when it begins in the morning, right? <laughs> the chaos of kids. Yeah. And so, you know, it's the coffee. It's the first emails of the day. It's I think there's a lot of challenge still, even in my life around work life integration when you're working from home. And so then it's getting the kids ready, getting them out the door, helping my wife, whatever she needs. She's helping me with whatever I need. Getting to your first calls. It's the uh, I try to avoid calling it this, but it's the train wreck of the day. Right. That You've got your <laughs> you've got your seven to eight planned meetings when you started the morning. Right. And by noon, you're like, oh, I'm already at eight and we still have. 12 more to go, right? So <laughs> I'll never forgive Google for allowing for the 15 in the calendar invite. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you, know, you know, your day runs through to a certain point. Your kids get home. You get the chance to help them get a little set up, run through the motions of the evening. And then for better or for worse, I wind up back online at some point in the evening doing doing the end tail bits of the day. So the next the next morning isn't quite as, quite as challenging. Let's say that. Amazing. So it's a pretty full day for you. It is, but I mean, I would argue that it's probably that way for any any founder at any startup, right? Mm-hmm. Startups are not a, I, I joke, someone says, well, how do you measure time and startups? You measure them in dog years. Each quarter feels like a year. Each year feels like four. Dog years. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Each quarter feels like a year. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, they, you, you grow like it. That's the truth. Oh, right? yeah. Your company's growing from a market rate. That, that's how they grow. And so- it, if you think that comes at, a, at a, a trade, it comes at a trade of time and effort. You work like it's been a year in one quarter. Right, exactly. Well, you, your, your company uh, is now completely remote, correct? Yeah, we, uh, we embrace it. At the beginning of COVID, about a few months in, we had the realization that, you know, are we really going to come back from this? Are we really going to continue to force people to move to Silicon Valley to work with us here in Millbrae? And we decided that we weren't going to. So we, I remember we made the announcement and I would say within a few months, we went from 75 some odd people in Silicon Valley to five. <laughs> Everyone moved across the country. It was honestly one of the best decisions we made. I think we're still grappling with it. There's still some challenges, but I know a huge percentage of our, of our employees were able to buy homes and move all the country. Our recruitment efforts then spread across the country. Now we can hire the best people across the nation to work in the company. It's been phenomenal for us. But I still think there's 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 a gap between work from home and in and, and office, something I, I know myself I haven't mastered yet. Um, both with like the quantity of work you allow yourself to do right in a day, as well as, and this is a weird one, how you trigger creativity, right? Mm-hmm. There's some, at least for me, there was always something magical with two or three people in a, in a conference room with a whiteboard right. and ideas get happen, happen. Whereas I find I still have not yet figured out how you channel those same energies like this on a Zoom call. Right. It's, it, it's a lot tougher. Um, do you guys, do you ever bring your employees together? For Absolutely. In persons? We uh so we have two major in-person events a year where the entire company comes together. One is called 
um, kind of like the onsite where it's really, we pick a boring location at a boring hotel. And <laughs> it's me. The last time we were at an airport hotel in Utah, because it mathed out that it was the cheapest location everyone to fly to, I'm to be at, conference rooms. The most exciting part is we ordered some fancy donuts at one point. And that, that was, in my opinion, a win because it was about getting work done. And the enjoyment was us doing being creative together. The next one we do is called camp. And that one is the exact opposite. No work. It literally is run like summer camp. If you if you went to you know, summer <laughs> uh-huh. camp, it's BYOB. So that helps. That's what right. helps. Um, but uh, and they have, we have everything, activities, color war, tie-dyeing, all the things you can imagine. But unlike regular summer camp where you have to go, everything's you know opt-in. So you can choose to come to an activity or not. There's usually two or three per session period, whether you want to go on a hike or you want to do tie-dye or you want to make an arts and crafts thing. Literally, we hire people who are summer camp counselors to come run the program. And the idea is that you should spend time with your coworkers. It is really easy to say, product is screwing me over. And I can't believe engineering is missing a deadline as opposed to, man, Jason seems really overworked. I should talk to him because I don't know if we're going to make that deadline and we should figure out how, like it, it humanized, especially when you're remote all the time, right. it humanizes the people you work with. And at the end of the day, you know, we're not necessarily a family. I think family is a, a bad term because you tolerate behavior in your family. You don't, shouldn't tolerate that at work. But we are a team and a team that plays together wins together. And so on some extent, we got to make sure that we play together. Right. And we start to see each other as whole humans, not just as engineering or product or sales or account right. management. We're more than our functions. And to that matter, you see people as more than their functions, they can deliver more than their functions. People feel empowered to say, yeah, I'm not, I am the account manager, but I also know that we all, we, we, we live and die as one ship. We're rising tide missile boats, but one hole sinks the whole ship. And so if I see something, I can say something, I can be an ally to every other team in the company as, and if they feel, you feel obligated to do so because you're not just, I'm accounting or I'm account management, I'm part of the team. And yeah, you, you, you sync together. That, that's feeling only comes from those kind of interactions. Right. You're breaking down the silos so people don't feel like they're in their own isolated little things. So what is it that you bring to the table that's unique? So I'll tell you, I I, I joke, you know, I my career was originally a lot of sales and business development. And eventually I shifted my way into an operations role. And the truth is I'm, I pretty much lean on my one and only skill, which is good communication. And I'm not, it's, it's definitely gotten better over the years, um, but it's an ability to listen and hear people where they are and be able to communicate with them where they are. And I, I, I learned this truthfully. I say my career was maybe a little stalled. It's, it's my, my development as an employee was stalled until I had my first kid. And I'll confess that you don't necessarily have to have kids to learn this lesson. Right. And maybe true. I had my first kid at 23. I could say there's value in being single in your 30s. <laughs> uh, having a kid woke me up to the realize that you've got to, you know, you can't communicate with a three-year-old like you would a seven-year-old or a 25-year-old. And for that matter, when your kid's in a certain one mood or another mood, you got to, you got to deliver the message to the moment, right? That hit me like a ton of bricks as a father. And then it's, I started to see it everywhere in my life. Why is am I having so much trouble communicating with this person? Well, man, I'm not taking into account what's go, what's present for them. You know, where are they? Where can they hear? How can they hear this right now? And being responsible, not just that I told them something, but I told them in a way that they would be able to internalize and take action. And that shifted everything in how I interacted with my coworkers, with my subordinates, with my superiors, with customers. And it, it, that fundamental concept of being able to hear people where they are, and for that matter, which really took the muscle was be able to listen to people regardless of where they are. I, I have a phrase that I use 
uh, in the listening skills that I teach called listening others into existence. <laughs> Where, because as you have described this and you've experienced this, people have a deep need to be heard and validated. And you can listen to them and validate them. You don't have necessarily have to agree with them. But if they feel heard and validated, they calm down emotionally. There's some really good neuroscience behind this too. They calm down emotionally and they're willing, they're willing to problem solve and work with you. Yep. If you blow them off and argue with them and fight with them, fight to be right, which so many people do, it just makes things worse. Yeah, you know, I, I say this so often, you know, you can there's always the hammer. It's always in your back pocket. That's right. Once you take it out, that's it. It's always what is it that story? Uh the axe forgets, the tree never does. Right. And so as soon as you swing that hammer, you can never take it back. So keep that in your back pocket as long as possible. You it's you want to, you know, you, I, I, I think your points are perfect. And especially when it comes to receiving feedback, I think one of the greatest things I learned was how to get really present with my reactions. Right. Because right. trust me, I encourage people to give feedback in my company, and especially when they're giving it to me. It is hard to hear, especially if I disagree. Right. At the same time. If someone's taking working up the, the stones, right, to come talk to the chief operating officer and co-founder of the company and give them feedback, I damn well better be ready to respect that and listen, even if I disagree. Right. Hear it and internalize it and get rid of the noise of their emotions and pick out the golden nugget because there's always a golden nugget in there. Well, if that's... anything, they are mad about something that you think you did and clearly you created a world where they could figure they, that's how the impression you left with them. You got to own that. I would I would suggest that you can do go one step. That's ex, that's fantastic, and you can go one step further. Don't you don't just say the try to sift through the emotions and find where the gold is. Take those emotions and work with them. Yeah, and that's what I do. I teach people how to listen to emotions. In fact, my mantra is ignore the words, listen to the emotions, reflect back the emotions with a you statement. Yeah, when you do that, that creates that deep hearing and validation that we're talking about, where now people will listen to you, and maybe they're really mad at you. It isn't anything you did. They're just mad, and you happen to be the safe guy that they can they can attack. I would say the peacemaker takes the first blows. So true. And so if true. you can if you can if you can listen them into existence, they'll calm down, and now they're in a place where they can problem solve. Another one of my little aphorisms is de-escalate, then problem solve. Yeah. Too many people try to problem solve while people are upset and angry. It does not work. It so does true. not. Work. It's so true. So you've got this organization that you've been building, and obviously you see listening as being a vital, probably foundational skill in your work. How do you go about teaching everybody else around you about the importance of that? You can't be the only listener in the organization. You know, it's, there's a couple layers. One, it's, it's still in the interview process. We, we take interviewing really seriously, and still to this day, I'm not perfect, but I interview almost every single candidate before they wow. get on. Um, listen, my rule is if we're small enough, right? Yeah. I'll do that. I can make the time to, to if they're if they're worth it enough to be here, it's worth my time to meet them. Mm -hmm. You can get some, you can get a good pulse on someone how they react to, to that meeting. I think the, it's a role modeling factor, right? right. When you see something, say something. So often when I see people breaking down in those communication moments, and it happens even on calls where I'm oh, in there, where I, I I I do this thing where I lurk on calls where maybe there's 15 people in the call, but if they didn't notice I'm in there too. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you can't correct someone in the moment, but you can go back and talk to them. Hey, what? how did that land for you? How'd that go? And walk them through where they could have done things differently. And the last thing, we, we still, as a company, every Wednesday do an all-hands presentation. Uh, they 
all look the same. There's some sort of means of sharing how you do, um, like how you do, uh, how you assign work, how you communicate about work. I have presentations on how you take responsibility for the work you've done, how you communicate as a manager, all these things that are these concepts. And I, I, I joke, I call it golden rules of the kitchen because early in my career, I worked in a kitchen and there were so many basic lessons you learn, like pay it forward. Every, right. no dish is made by one chef. There's a group of people that are doing it. So how are you making it that the next person can do their thing? And that's, then talk about, well, how did you do it in your communication? How did you make it easy for that person to hear you? How did you make it easy for them to report back? You know, how do you do delegation? One of my favorite presentations is on delegation because people so often forget that the level you can delegate to different people is all about the relationship you have with them and the communication styles you've built. And they take time to develop. Not everyone's a level four delegation person the day when they start. Okay. And so I do these programs probably once a quarter. I pick one or two of these presentations and we mix them in. So we keep these concepts fresh for everyone in the company. Wow, excellent. Be perfect. But we're working on it. Yeah, no, I mean the the whole point. I mean one of the one of the things that that I've learned is that when one of the things you should be doing as a leader in a company is developing two to three levels down the people that are going to replace you someday. And what skills do they need to develop that they don't have right now? That it's your responsibility to make sure they get. It's, it's listen. I I like to think we're working towards that goal. It's that that's the kind of stuff that takes organizations from good to great, right? I'll tell you one of the things that struck me. You were talking about the, your 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 aphorisms for listening and communication. Mm -hmm. it, I don't know if you read that book, uh, Multipliers, but it's so true that I found that if you're a good communicator, you're listening, you're helping people work through their issues to build them on themselves. You're getting 120 percent out of them. If well, that's right. There's something even deeper, and that is there. Are, there are four, three psychological um, services that a leader provides to a group: focus, direction, and safety. And Google came out with the study two, three years ago, trying to, they're trying to understand whether top one-tenth of 1% 1 teams outperformed everybody else by orders of magnitude. And what the researchers discovered was the fact that those teams had psychological safety, emotional safety. And emotionally safe teams will outperform other teams by orders of magnitude. And that's because the lead and the leaders are responsible for creating that psychological safety. Well, how do you do that? You do it by listening and by not being critical and by knowing how to coach for improvement and, and by working down two and three levels and, and making, making yourself accessible and delegating and modeling right behavior. And that's the secret. That's the secret. It's not difficult, but there are skills that have to be taught. A lot of people are promoted into leadership positions and they're never taught these skills. No. So all they all they know is what they've seen. And unfortunately, most people have had really bad leaders or managers. And so they think that's the way it's to be done. And it turns out that, you know, it's not. I'm probably the product of that horror story in the sense that in my early career, I worked for a fashion company. I won't name the company, but they definitely had a CEO that believed that you should always feel like you're looking down the barrel of a gun every day. It was a very oh, energy, high energy, intense wouldn't have called this an emotionally safe environment. It was a fashion company. They all are a little intense. Um, but I thought, well, that's what a great leader looks like. And I remember my first company, I tried to emulate that. And there were people in tears. I was the worst manager. I was the manager no one wanted and no one wanted to be around. Right. And it wasn't until my second startup and I'd worked for some other people that I got to see what amazing like managers of kindness, empathy looked like. Right. And yeah, and as part of that shift, all the same time I got a kid, I sort of realized, whoa, 
like this is not how goodness happens this like don't be that person and uh now i can say you know those those difficult managers have been the best educators of my life oh sure you learn what not to do you never want to be that guy you know <laughs> but then how do you the, the challenge for a lot of people is then i don't want to be like that but then how do i how do i become different I invest and that's invest. The, you got to invest in in your own self and and learn from people who 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 know and, and that can be challenging. Yeah, no, it's it's powerful. A couple other things I've learned, and you've just repeated it. Um, I've interviewed a lot of founders on this show. And what I hear consistently is if you want to build a business and scale it, your first five hires are the most important hires you're going to make. You've got to hire people that know how to read talent because they're going to be hiring people. And they've got to know how to read the kind of talent that you're going to need to scale. And so when you do those first five hires, you've got to... Those are critical because what you don't want to do, and I think you talked about this in the interview, what you don't want to do is hire people that you like that can't do the job, and now you got to fire them, and that's miserable. Yeah, I, I use this analogy all the time to describe it over the startup. Have you ever made a nine by nine pan of brownies? Oh, sure. Uh-huh. You put one tablespoon of vinegar in there. I use the word vinegar because we're being recorded, right? right? You're going to notice. You're going to notice. <laughs> right. You got a sheet pan of brownies. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Cisco is a sheet pan. They can survive a misstep here and there from a personality perspective. Right. Maybe they can't. We'll leave that for, for someone else to decide. But a startup's a nine by nine pan. Every single ingredient matters, the quantity, the quality, everything. So you've got to treat it as such. That means ingredients matter, right? You've got to take the time to pick the right ones, to get those right people. Because that core team, that's the culture you're building. You only get to influence culture very, very limited fashion. As soon as you get to about 10, 12 people, your company has a culture and you're wagging the dog, right? Exactly right. And so you need to get real intentional about it early and be intentional about it consistently as you scale up. And that's something we've I've learned with my co-founder over the years. We didn't do it great always. Every time we do a company, a new company, we, we are leaned in on this concept. Culture is critical early and forever. And right. it, only, it only stays that way if you continuously invest in it and nurture it as along as it goes. Absolutely. I think that's probably one of the most important lessons that leaders and founders can learn and it's it's not something that's taught in business school and people are not taught how to do it it takes a, a set of nuanced skills i think to be able to do that and maybe it takes serial entrepreneurs like you who've gotten burned and made a lot of mistakes to finally figure out no there's a better way to do this be be an empathic leader be the leader that everyone wants to follow and that's the secret it's uh it's no secret. It's no secret. It's just right. a, it's a road to get there, I think. Yeah, so. probably so. And it requires, uh, I mean, it requires authenticity and vulnerability to a large degree and emotional competency. You've got to be emotionally self-aware or at least willing to become emotionally self-aware. 100%. Yeah, and it's, I use this two terms always. It's uh, sharpening your pencil. You've got to always be willing to be sharpening your pencil because life dulls you down. Yeah. Life makes you jaded. Yeah, I've had days where, you know, 15 meetings in a row and it was 15 uh, sandpaper meetings. <laughs> either, you can either end that day and, and live with who that made you or you can say, no, no, no I'm going to sharpen my pencil. I'm going to go I'm gonna do an hour workout and burn that out. I'm going to go right. meditate or go to class or do something. I'm going to I'm going to resharpen my pencil to know that, sure, today rubbed you down a little bit. We're going to keep that point going. Right. I pick up my violin and play jazz. <laughs> Always keep improving yourself, working yourself. You make Absolutely. that who you are then doing things like I'm going to become more emotionally aware. I'm going to be able to learn to deal with negative feedback. I'm going to find a way to 
to communicate with engineers effectively and stop trying to commit homicide. All of those things are possible if you're invested in getting better as a person. Personal life, your professional life, make that who you are. Absolutely. You're in your, you, it's limitless. You'll always be growing and getting better. That's right. Well, one more question. This is kind of a little more personal. Jake, what's one thing about yourself that we wouldn't know about unless you revealed it to us? So I, I guess I sort of revealed this a little bit. I had a dream as a kid and maybe even still today, I want, I want to own a restaurant. I want to, I love cooking and the joy it brings people when they eat a good meal. Yep. Whatever worse, I grew up in a family, very meager means. My mother was an amazing cook and food was love and food to me still is love. When I've had a hard day at the end of the day, I will literally go into my kitchen and bake 200 cookies. I worked in a catering hall. actually, ah. in So like I make things at scale. I'll bake <laughs> birthday cakes with butterflies, you name it. Right. And I will do this all the time. And it drives my wife nuts because everyone's, she says, everyone's getting fat. It's not fair. So now we pack it up and give it to our friends. But I, I cook, I cook and I bake and I dream of someday being able to do that at scale, probably closer to something like, I don't know if you know the Bon Jovi's nonprofit where he runs these um, restaurants that effectively pay what you can. I would love to be able to be a part of something like that, where you can bring smiles to people's faces, whether they've got the means or not. People, people have a good meal. A good meal makes you feel like amazing. I mean, it makes, it brings love. And I'd love to be able to keep bringing that. Oh, interesting. You say that because I'm a chef too. And I got it. I've been cooking all my life, but where, when I was a trial lawyer, you know, you never got completion on anything. It would take years to go from start to finish. And what I really loved about cooking was that in an hour, an hour and a half, it was done. And there were the results right there, instant results. And um, that's what I, re- I, and I agree with you. It's love and it's creativity and it's getting instant gratification, nearly instant gratification for some hard work that you don't get, <laughs> you know, in the professional world. <laughs> That said, I, I I was definitely on a sourdough kick during COVID. Oh, I can say, I'm oh, still on that. I uh, I never reached completion. All of all of mine were failures, and I'm still working on it. Oh, I've got I've got sale. I've got sourdough down cold. I don't do I don't do much baking in the wintertime. I mean, in the summertime. But now it's coming into the fall. Another month or two, I'll start baking again. And I bake at least one big loaf of sourdough, either whole wheat or or French style, every week. And I, it takes 15 minutes of labor. It takes 38 hours of time, but 15 minutes of labor. Anyway, I'll leave right. it. Well, well, I'll hold on to that one, Doug. I appreciate it. Well, we'll go, we'll, we'll go off and I'll tell you how to do it. It's really easy. Thank you so much, Jake. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Doug, for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listeningwithleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. 
Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, DougKnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Knoll. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.